Welcome to this special episode of Moments in Leadership. If you like what I'm doing here and you want to help me out, please be sure to check out the link in the show notes for my Supercast account. I really appreciate any help you can give me. And then, of course, leaving me reviews is very helpful. But I want to cut right to this episode as quickly as I can. I was recently invited to come down to TBS and sit in on a presentation done to a class of lieutenants that were getting ready to graduate TBS by... Lieutenant General Bellin and Sergeant Major Ruiz. And as I sat there and I listened to them talk together as a command team, I had a couple questions that just popped into my mind. And and the first one was, how do they pick the Commandant of the Marine Corps when there are so many talented three-star generals out there? I mean, every single one of my guests is so impressive and blow me away with their leadership and their talent, their intellectual capacity, all of it. And I don't know how they pick the commandant from all of those 13 or 14 three-star generals. That must be a really hard job. But the other thing that popped into my mind was Sergeant Major Ruiz at the time of this recording had already been selected to be the Sergeant Major at Spacecom. And as I watched him and General Bellin do this presentation to lieutenants, I thought to myself, How can Sergeant Major Ruiz not be in consideration for Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps? Because I I have been so impressed with Sergeant Major Ruiz. I've had an opportunity to meet him a couple of different times. And I just, I, I figured, well, there must be some reason for it. Well, as everybody now knows, the news has been released. But when I was getting ready to drop this episode, a very subtle hint was dropped to me that maybe there would be a better timing in the summer for me to drop this episode. And I took that to mean that It would be best to wait until he took command over at Spacecom. Well, lo and behold, the news came out that he will be the next Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. And I thought, okay, that was the subtle hint to uh, wait to drop this episode. So enjoy this episode. One of the things that I note from this is, and and again, to set the stage for this, this is General Bellin and Sergeant Major Ruiz giving a one-hour presentation to a class of lieutenants. And I just put microphones on them and recorded it. So there's no interview here or anything. It's just them talking to the lieutenants. But what you'll note from this, I hope you'll note the same thing that I noted from this, which was the professional relationship between the two of them. Right, As as a three-star general and a force-level sergeant major, the professional relationship is so palpable in this episode that it made me wonder if everybody looks at their relationship that they have, whether it's officer enlisted counterpart, and do you have a good human normal relationship like these two have together as a command team? What I noticed was this is a command team relationship. And I just think that that is incredibly important for everyone to recognize and assess and use it as a gauge or a tool when you think about your own command relationships, whether it's you're an enlisted Marine listening to this and you have a command relationship with an officer or you're an officer and you have a command relationship with an enlisted. I think that this, that is probably one of the biggest takeaways of this episode. So I won't belabor the point anymore. Here is the presentation. Attention on deck. Hoorah. Good afternoon. Carry on. What's going on? Hoorah. All right. Is this Alpha Company? <laughs> it is Alpha Company. All right. All right, so I heard you guys are uh, kind of MOS announcements are about to be right in the near horizon, right? Good deal, okay. So I'm gonna introduce my guest speaker here, uh, Sergeant Major Ruiz. Uh, he usually comes in after me, likes to make a big entrance. But uh, I am Lieutenant General Bellin. Uh, Sergeant Major Ruiz and I are the command element for, uh, we have a combined command, okay? We have uh, Marine Forces Reserve, which is about 90,000 Marines spread out all over God's Green Acre. And we have um, Marine Forces South. And what that is, uh, we coordinate all Marine Corps activities in 32 different countries in U.S. Southern Command. So think Central America, the Caribbean, and South America. And yes, we are uh, working down there. Not the same profile as uh, either UCOM or, uh, or, um, or Indo-PACOM but uh, the same adversaries and some other ones that are very active down there. And we've been down there for decades. And I'll talk more about that. You probably don't know much about that. But uh, we'll, start with, um, we'll start with a couple of things. First, let's talk about you for a second. All right? So what do you all have in common? What do you all have in common? Any, any Jayhawks in here? Sure. Okay. God's chosen lieutenants. All right. How about University of Missouri? No. You guys... Didn't qualify for one of those. Okay. How about any buffs? Any buffs? Colorado Buffaloes, get some. All right. Okay. 
So here's what y'all have in common from the different places you've been, is that y'all had options, right? Y'all had options. When you finally decided at some point that you were interested in military service, you could look around and you could see just about every other service and you probably could have taken a run at any service. But each and every one of you chose to be Marines. And probably more than one or two moms cried or you know, people that love you cried like mine did when I announced I was going to be a Marine. And that came with a degree of trepidation or nervousness. And why is that? Why? What caused that when you finally decided, God dang, I think I want to be a Marine? What makes us nervous about that? I'll wait you out, so you better start yelling answers. What makes, you, what makes us nervous about committing to be Marines? What, think back. When you finally decided and you're like, oh, crap, I think I'm going to do this. Why are we nervous about that? What do we think is coming? Good afternoon, sir. Come on, Jones. Let's do it. Uh, I believe that the, for me personally, it was the not knowing uh, what it was to be fully expected. Like you had an idea, but you didn't really know what that would come with. But you knew that you wanted to be a part of something that was probably the best, the most disciplined, and the best fighting force there is. Was it going to be easy? No, sir. Definitely not. It was going to be hard, right? Yes, sir. All right. First out of the gate, Jones, well done. Hurrah. Get some. All right. Yeah. The thing we all have in common is that we chose the Marine Corps in part because we thought it was going to be harder than our other choices. Check or hold? Check or hold? Check. Check. Yeah. Heck yeah. You chose the Marine Corps because you thought there's something weird inside of all of us. Say, hey, that's going to be a little bit harder. The suck factor is going to be a little bit higher. I think I want to do that. I mean, it's a little more complicated than that. But that is a common theme, regardless of the past that each and every one of you had. That is a common theme that each and every one of you had. This is going to be harder. Somehow I'm attracted to that. I'm going to do that. So why? Why will we choose that? Why did you choose that? So I'll tell you why. This is 35 years telling you why, I think. Because you made a deal. You made a deal. You thought, if I submit to something that is relatively unknown, that I believe is going to be harder than my other options, if I do that, at the end of this, whether it's four years or 40 years of service, this challenge these responsibilities will compel me to evolve in a way that will make me a better person than I would have been on my own. So think about that for a second. Now answer me, is that fair? Is that fair? Is it fair? Yes. Yes. Okay. So here's the best part of this. You have in common, not just with each other, but the Marines who are waiting for you out in the fleet Marine Force, that is the exact same reason why they joined the Marine Corps, why they chose the Marine Corps. So regardless of our differences, your educational backgrounds, your family circumstances, your ethnicity, whatever, all the things that divide us, what we'll ha you'll have in common immediately are those elemental truths about why you chose this line of service, this, why you answered your call to service, and why your Marines did the exact same thing. And that is the one fiber that runs between every single current, past, and future Marine. All right, so now we'll talk a little bit about standards. Okay? Ooh, bye. I'm debating in my brain right now whether I should tell this story and then waste my few short seconds that the commander gives me to speak to you. So <laughs> I'm going to tell, tell you a story, right? Yeah. So we land in D.C. and it's late last night? That was last night. Last yeah. night. Late last night. And um, we go to the rental car place. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And then uh, thankfully, uh, Major Gones uh, has President Circle, right? And so we go to President's Circle to pick up our vehicle, and I see this Volkswagen um, electric vehicle, right? Like <laughs> so I say, why don't we get that one? It's pretty, it's pretty fancy, yeah? It's pretty fancy. We get in it, 
and uh, we figure out the buttons and is the car on or not. And then uh, we finally get to the gate and the person at the gate says, we have a, what is it? Safety. We have a safety, a safety, a safety. And so all the 10 cars behind us have to back up and then we have to figure out how to back up and return the vehicle to get a good old American gas guzzling machine. Ura? I tell you that story only to tell you this. It was terrifying living in your world for like six minutes. Okay? It was terrifying. <laughs> but we were ready to fight it out. We were ready to go with an electric car. Anyway, moving on, and we're walking. All right, standards. Standards, yeah. So individual performance, competency is what the standard demands. Ura? For a long time now, you have been held to the standard here. Now, I imagine, sir, what is the minimal score that you must get in a physical fitness test? Good afternoon, Sergeant Major, Lieutenant Weiss, six platoon. Kill! I don't know if you say yeah, kill. Just, uh, you say six kill? Platoon. Yeah. For a first class PFT, it's a 235. I don't know the exact minimum. So. Okay, good, sir. Then again, can you take a guess? Minimum? Sir, Lieutenant Gannon, third platoon. 250. 250 for a minimum. One more, sir. You have just as almost great hair like I do, but. <laughs> Rob Sarmater, uh, Lieutenant Pryder, I've seen. Yeah. Uh, 195. 195, getting closer. So the minimum standard is 150. So, 150. But there's not one of you in this room that knows about it, because why? Because you give two shit about it. <laughs> it's a minimum standard, yeah? And what are you searching for here? You are looking to challenge, and the institution is looking to challenge you even further. Sometimes you get mad at me because I hold you to the standard that you wanted to be a part of. You wanted to join something that was hard, and you did. We delivered on that promise, and we continue to add on to your plate because we know how much more you can take and deliver for the American people. Now, where do you belong when I talk about respecting the standard. And you, as a lieutenant, as a Marine officer, held to the highest standards, you walk and talk it every single day, that you're amongst the Marines. How you walk, how you carry yourself, how you communicate what you say about the standard in front of the other Marines, we are paying attention. I tell you that because there are places in time in your Marine Corps day that you have the ability to display that you respect the standard. And one of those places, for those prior enlisted that are here, you probably remember an awards formation or a promotion formation where you have the privilege and honor of moving on a young Lance Corporal to an NCO. And how will you treat that event? How will you care for it? Who would you invite? What would you say about that Marine? Do you know that Marine? So respecting the standard is just as important as upholding the highest of standard. Ura? All right, so let me give you a little context, all right? That's pretty good. We've been doing this for a couple of years now. We're just, we're flowing. All right, so uh, the standard. So here, here's some mistakes that, that I have watched and he has watched junior officers is, since like Sparta, okay? Since you're just entering the fleet, how many prior enlisted do we have in here? Okay, so prior enlisted have an advantage because they've seen, they've had a few turns already. Whether it's four years or a decade or 14 years, they've seen the elephant, but they've seen it through the lens of their own experience. And now you're gonna re-enter, you're gonna re-enter the ecosystem as something different. So there's all kinds of different traps for you, but for a second lieutenant, typically what the, uh, what the, the anxiety, because we're in the human being business, right? And it starts with us. And there's this anxiety about what is the right relationship to have with your Marines. And here's the answer, is that each and every one of you is an individual human being. We're in the human being business, all right? So each and every one of you is unique and has your own, has your own specific uh, things that makes you happy, makes you sad, things that you thrive at, things that you struggle with. You're all unique and different, just like the Marines are. But what you must do and what you must remember as you're trying to reach these individual Marines is the reason the standards are important is because the standards is how we as officers fulfill our obligations. So think about it. Those Marines are out there waiting for you. They chose to do something hard and they made the same deal you did. I'm gonna do something hard because it's gonna make me better. It's gonna make me better. And so the first 
fault that you will see, and you will see it among your peers, is that people lack the confidence to maintain the professional distance from their Marines and enforce standards. And instead, they curry favor. They curry favor and relax standards in order to be familiar and popular with Marines. That is beneath your Marines. They chose to do something hard. They joined us. They want to ascend above their circumstances. Our job is not to be popular. You will be loved if you respect them enough to deliver on the promise. It's that simple. And the way you do that is you hold each other accountable. You hold each other accountable. So your own, our own, my own personal frailties that drive me to want to be softer or more popular or liked is beneath the very people that I have a professional and moral obligation to lead. More than that, the people that you will come to love in ways just like your family, as if they were your own blood. That will happen over time. That is a hard tension to reconcile, right? In order to play your position and honor their commitment, you must maintain a bit of professional distance, enforce standards, and not become entrapped in a personal relationship. All right, strange, strange, right? And it will take time to calibrate that. The great news is that each and every one of you will do it slightly differently because you're humans. At the deep end of the pool, as I watch my peers or the top-level sergeant majors do it, they have an amazing ability to see a Marine a thousand yards away and begin to calibrate. What is it about her? What is the cipher that unlocks the potential of this Marine? And then to travel the spectrum of leadership tools in order to get to that end state of excellence. Not the minimum standard, but the standard that, of which she is capable of achieving if I lead well. And if you do that for each individual Marine, then the collective outcome is a, is a, is a done deal. Mission accomplished. Right? That, the, the great news about the choice that you have to be a Marine, especially a leader of Marines is, that is an infinite journey. I retired this summer, and I'm telling you, I'm nowhere close to being good, at it, good enough at it yet. And if you make that journey, that journey alone cultivates within you a sense of selflessness and accountability that tend to wash over into other areas of your life on your best days. And by that, I mean how you lead inside of your family, how you follow inside of your family, your interpersonal relationship with people who are not Marines and your peers who are Marines. My way of saying, you all are what, a little bit over halfway, is that right? You got how many, about three quarters of the way through? All right. So you sit in these classrooms every once in a while, or you get gunny timed, and you're out at formation because, by God, second fire team's not going to be the last one in formation, and you're there an hour and a half early, you know. And you begin to wonder, have I made a huge mistake? <laughs> and the answer is no, you haven't. Because if you stay on the grind and stay on the journey, then all these things happen gradually, gradually, gradually. And then the next thing you know, you're running with a peer group and you have the respect of Marines. You have the respect and admiration of Marines. All right. I think what I'll, go, I'll take it to next is that in, in this room, almost every seat is filled. And yet I can turn on the television and talk. And the message is that there is a big issue on the propensity to want to serve this country. Yeah? You tracking? But then I look at here, and, it's, and it is filled, and it makes my, my heart, my soul pretty happy. Hoorah. So what is it that you will do moving forward? You get through the 50-miler? You get through the nest night? Hoorah. Yeah? You're like, I'm already planning some good stuff. Yeah. You get through that, you get through, and then at some point the Marines hymn will come on, and the hair in the back of your neck will stand up, and then you'll sing your little hearts out, and it's great. It's a beautiful thing. And then you hit the, the fleet running. And I tell you, what is your place when you hit the fleet? I'm going to give you, at some point, this is a great hack for you to have. At some point in your entry into the fleet Marine Force, there will be this person that you will meet, and it will be your first sergeant. It'll be that company first sergeant. At some point, 
I would recommend to you to visit that first sergeant. That first sergeant will in turn give you time, the courtesy to tell you what's going on with your platoon. Why is that? Because then you don't have to do discovery learning. You don't have to figure out, take six months to try to see where the weaknesses are. That first sergeant can quick, quickly give you an azimuth for you to go forth with and take care of your Marines. So hit that. The next thing I need you to worry about is the word persistence. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that you may enter a, a place where your Marines are formed, they know what they're doing, they know what their jobs are each and every day, they don't get in trouble, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And then big Marine Corps will come in and say, you're going recruiting duty, you're going DI duty, you're going here, and then the next Marine will come, maybe one rank less, and then you'll have to start over. It's okay to start over. It's okay to get them into the family as fast as possible. Don't lament too long for that Marine that's gone that did all those things for you, that made you look a certain way, or made the platoon feel a certain way. You, got to be, you have to be persistent in your message about what it means to be inside your platoons or your sections. Hoorah. And then you're gonna get to the point where you're like, man, I got them all, they're humming again. They're looking good, they're walking good, they know their jobs, we're going, we're do, we're going places. And you think because the Marine responds to you in a certain way, or they get after your mission set of orders in a certain way, that you're good. And you start looking around and you start stepping back. I would tell you that that's good, but the next level that you want to get to is a place where Marines do things on their own initiative and that they have the empowerment from you to get after the things that you, that you don't even know you need yet because their experience tells them that this is the next step without you watching, without you telling them what to do. What do you need to do to get there? The word trust. The word trust in equipment, leadership, subordinates, gets thrown around a lot. But that is the one thing you must constantly work towards, earning the trust and confidence of your Marines and your peers, and of course your commander. You are always leading and you're always following, yeah? No matter what, he's always following somebody. And he's a three-star. There's always somebody for you to look up to. If you can get that trust in a certain place in that platoon, then that may lead to morale. And I'm not talking about pizza parties and pool parties and getting off work early, yeah? Morale. And then maybe out of morale, comes motivation, motivation to endure, to do the hard things, to be wet, to be cold, to still do the hard things because you have trust. There's morale, there's motivation. And then they, that may lead to upholding the highest of standards. And that circle comes back around. You'll come back around to do it again with the members of your team. How do you earn that trust? Lance Corporal Ruiz is not going to give Lieutenant Marshall all my business the first three to six months that I know you. I'm just not. You're going to have to work for it. And it goes both ways. I have my responsibilities. You have yours. But at some point, you got to figure out what makes me tick. Okay. So a little PME here. All right. Sergeant Major. So uh, when he's talking about command and he's giving you leadership thoughts, I just put this in your mind. He picked up first sergeant, the rank he was just talking about to you, in 2009. 2009, 14 years ago, okay? So what separates enlisted professionals from officers is that he has been in the command business straight for 14 years. So first sergeant is paired up with a company or debt commander, and he is now in the, in the command business, wearing the authority of a command team for 14 years straight, officers, we come in and out of staff jobs. Come in and out of staff jobs, and we have breaks in our command experience. So how many different commanders do you think you've worked with? 15. Okay, so think about that. So here he and I are working together as a command team. I'm one of 15. So he has seen 14 others of me, and he has traveled this, this path from the time he picked up first sergeant to now he is what's called a force-level sergeant major. 
So sergeant majors and master gunnery sergeants, once they get promoted, what they're assigned to a lieutenant colonel level command. That is a boot sergeant major. Squadron or battalion, that's where they go. Yeah. They never change their rank again. So I pinned on lieutenant colonel, became an infantry battalion commander, headed back to Iraq. He picked up sergeant major. What was your first? What was your first? I forgot. What's your first command you went to as sergeant major? 3-5. 3-5. Motivated 3-5. Anybody here from 3-5? Hell's Angels. Hell's Angels <laughs> in the Marine Corps. All right. So he went to an infantry battalion also. So now I have changed rank many times. He never has. But now he is a force-level sergeant major. Only nine of them in the entire Marine Corps, including the sergeant major of the Marine Corps. He's one of them. And he was just approved by the Senate to take over as the senior enlisted leader for Spacecom. God help him. We're in trouble. Yeah, we are in trouble. We are in trouble. So, so when you hear that context and that perspective, think of literally the thousands and thousands, probably tens of thousands of Marines of every flavor you can imagine of that he has seen and worked with and tried to cultivate, okay? All right, number two, let's talk a little bit about, about uh, our job. So he just told you, you know, what he believed in general terms. So I'm going to give you, you know, he asked me to tell this story every time we do this. So I'm just going to, spoiler, I'm going to tell the story. I remember uh, I was in the second battle of Fallujah. And I was coming down the north side of the city following a squad from 3-5, actually. And uh, we're coming down this, this street. Uh, battle's kind of raging up ahead of us. And we're moving towards it, and I'm probably from here to the wall uh, from this squad. And uh, an RPK opens up from uh, south to north. Ba, 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 ba. You know, tracers coming up the street, and everyone goes down. I go down behind this pile of detritus, whatever it was, and I'm looking, I'm watching this thing unfold. The squad leader stacks up his squad on the perpendicular line of access to the fire. And he, turkey peeks out. He's turkey peeking out, and then he turns over his left shoulder, and he begins to give a squad order, an ADRAC, an, an order of what, what's going to happen. And before he even finished, a saw gunner and an A gunner pop out in the street, flop down, and just start ripping max sustained fire down the street back at the uh, point of access of the automatic weapons fire coming up the street. And then as soon as that starts going, they're probably 20 rounds in, and a uh, rocket team comes out behind them. It was a small, so it was spotting around, spotting around, back blast area all secure, launching, rocket goes off. And I'm thinking the rocket's gonna go down the street, and it doesn't. It goes in an oblique across the street. It goes across the street and hits a big wall of some compound. It's huge explosion. I mean, it's from like me to that television. He gets out, saw shooting this way, and he back blast area all secure, fires across, boom, huge explosion, overpressure, because the, the explosion was so close. And as the dust and all the crap from the street gets blown up in the sky and all these pebbles and rocks and stuff are falling down, the first fire team is bounding across the street and that saw is just ripping. They're changing drums and he's just hosing down the street. Squad leader is orchestrating the whole thing. Second team goes. Third team goes. Base of fire picks up on the other side of the street. I see the squad leader hit the, the saw gunner on the helmet. He collects those two and off into the hole they go and everyone collapses into that compound and they're gone. And the whole thing took about as long, or maybe even shorter than it took me to tell you the story. You know, you'll see a million things in your service. And I tell that, I'll probably tell that from my wheelchair over and over and over. Because it was a point of inflection in how I saw my own role in the Marine Corps from that point on. I'd been selected for battalion command. I knew I was going to go home, pick up a battalion, and come back for my third tour um, on, a, on a relatively quick turn. And the Lord spoke to me. I literally opened up my, I had a flak jacket, ripped open later that night, and I wrote a message to myself about that. And what I wrote was, my job was to make that sergeant. My job was to make that sergeant. What does that mean? When I reflected back on that NCO, he was fully empowered. We win battles by small unit leaders making bold decisions, bold decisions at the speed of relevance, tactical relevance, meaning I need a decision, I need it right now, it has to happen right now, followed by violence of action. That's how we win battles. There, you're, you're dismissed. That's how it happens, okay? He did that. 
Why? And then I started thinking, how do you, how do you make a Marine like that? He wasn't thinking, I wonder what Lieutenant Bellin would think. Or, hey, Captain Bellin, my company commander, sucks, and I better get on the radio. I'm not sure he's going to support me in this. He, he was fully empowered. And the reason why was, first of all, rule number one, he was competent. He was competent. He was absolutely competent in his personal skills to assess the situation and tactically control his squad. The specific skills you will learn here are why you are here. They're why you're here. Nobody gives a shit if you get to the fleet and you got a great personality. Nobody gives a shit. What happens is they will love you. They'll bring you in. You'll be really popular in your, in your spaces. You'll compromise standards. You'll probably go to first names on Liberty occasionally. And the first time you're in the well deck of a ship and the rotors are turning on the flight deck, they will hate you. And I'm not guessing. Do you know your job? That's what they want first and foremost. Do you know your job? Can you call for fire? Can you call for medevac? Do you understand your job? If yes, then continue. So that sergeant knew his job. He had established his credibility with his small unit. Was he popular? No idea. But they had immediate compliance to orders in a moment when it was very dangerous for all of them, and they did exceptionally well. So morale, morale comes from being good at what you signed up to do. If a Marine is truly, personally, profoundly proud of the decision they made and believe that their service and work is meaningful and worthy of their sacrifice, morale goes through the roof. That's how morale is made. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. All right. Let's do this. I think we've been hammering away for a minute. Let's, let's, uh, let's spar a little. All right, what's on your mind? What questions do you have? Where's third platoon at? <laughs> no, not Ur. Where's third platoon at? Put your hands up. Okay, good volunteer. Go ahead. What's your question? Good afternoon, sir. Second hand, Truesdale, third platoon. Truesdale, you motivate me. Let's go. Hoorah. Hoorah. How's your leadership style changed throughout your career? Okay, Truesdale, good question. Uh, less emotion, same passion. So when I was young and not confident enough, uh, I wasn't disciplined in controlling my emotions. What I've learned as I've gotten older is that uh, your emotions, they're like stray voltage, right? If you're getting angry, you're just you're dumping fuel. You're indulging your own ego and your own you know, personal feelings. You're, I'm angry, I'm angry, right? Or if I'm sore and high, less emotion, more passion. The passion drives me to get up every day and still do this and be sincere with the Marines. You know, to be sincere. Whether you like this or not, at least you believe we believe what we're saying, right? So less emotion, more passion. And just by being reflective on, why am I so angry? You know, follow it. Uh, why, <laughs> why am I so angry? And the reason is probably because my ego is too frail to deal with the moment. The moment's a little bigger than me and I'm angry instead of just leading my way out of whatever the friction is at the time. Fair question. Shannon, hook me up, will you? All right. Truesdale is actually good. All right. Where's, where's six platoon at? Where, where's six platoon? Oh, yeah. See, that's our major. Pick one, our major, unless they're going to get a volunteer. Good question. They won't let me pick. Somebody will jump up. Bruh. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. <laughs> You got one in mind? Go ahead, sir. See that? Is, are you even, you're not even with 6th Platoon, are you? No, sir, I'm not. Who are you with? 5th Platoon. 5th hey, right. Platoon. 5th Platoon's going to get a 96. Go ahead. <laughs> My question is, Force Design uh, is talking about a more permeable reserve force to active force. Yeah. Uh, so in the coming years, uh, what options will there be for reserve Marines to fully integrate back into the USMC? Okay, I'll start it. You want to finish it. So, so. Uh, What's different between when I joined and when you joined is now you guys are joining with the blended retirement system. So I am a reservist. I did, uh, I did eight years on active duty, then I jumped to the reserves, uh, began a family, uh, got out. I was already an attorney before I joined the reserves. I became an infantry officer. I was being chased by the law, long story. Okay. Um, but then when I got back out of the Marine Corps, I got back into being an attorney and I went to work in Los Angeles as an attorney. 
And then I, I, I got back into the reserves, like on terminal leave, I jumped into the reserves, did my first AT on reserves. And I stayed the whole time, but only because I thought I wanted to be a company commander and then I was gonna punch out. And on my last weekend as a company commander, 9-11 happened and just changed everything. Okay, so I've had this weird life where I've been in and out and in and out and in and out. So over 35 years, I've done 23 active. But it's gonna be, climbing closer to what you all have. Because when I came in, if you got to 10 years on active duty, the Marine Corps kind of assumed they had you. You were in for 20. And so the middle years, you were part of the SLED team and you were hooked to the SLED and you were pulling hard. But now with you, you have blended retirement, which looks a lot like what a 401k looks like on the outside. And if you are top talent, you get hired off by somebody else, you take your 401k with you and you jump. So you'll be just as likely to jump at say year four is year 14, totally different than mine. And that's gonna happen. At the same time, warfare and all of the capabilities that we have are gonna become more and more complex. Fighting it out and fighting your hearts out is the same, but the stuff we're gonna have is gonna be more complex. So it's gonna be interest of the nation, the interest of the nation. This is gonna happen with Special Operations Command, the Air Force, even the Navy. It's even gonna happen with the Navy. Um, you're gonna, there's gonna be a call to keep you. And so what I believe is, especially as officers, for all you, that what you want, you want to you grow over the next decades and continue to refine yourself as warrior leaders, right? Warrior leaders. And so what we're going to have to do is say, okay, look, uh, let's say you go out and get a, get a job with Snapchat or whoever, you name it, right? You're going to come back in, and I know this because the reservists that come back into us, they have exceptional skills that candidly the service couldn't give them. We see it all the time. I have a captain who's an applied mathematics professor at MIT. He's a loggie in the Marine Corps. Um, and I could just go on and on and on. So I think what we're going to find on your watch is there's going to be much more permeable. You'll decide to get out. And if your heart is still that, man, I really love Marines. That's my thing. I just love Marines. And I want to be around them. Then you'll find this kind of blended career that makes you a more effective warrior leader as you go. And, and you'll be there. That's what I think is going to happen for you all. Good question. All right. Who else? If I can, before you, before you, if I can just finish yeah, that two, off. Yeah, two. And that's why your, your investment, because most of you here, uh, wave the big hand, with the exception of maybe this group right here, <laughs> not you individually, but your seats, um, will exit the core. You're transients. You, you come in here, and you're going to get to test yourselves, and you get to improve all things you, and you get to serve an honorable thing, and you become the next leaders of our beautiful country. And that's okay, that's okay. But while you're in, I didn't know anything about the reserve component until I was a first sergeant. He's active duty. <laughs> I'm active duty. And so it wasn't until year 15, 16, that I got sent to I&I duty. And that's from me doing a tour in recruiting duty. That's from me then becoming a drill instructor. So all those times, the focus, the culture of who we are is if you're not active duty, then you're not serving. And in this future fight, I think you would agree that it's a total force thing. Yeah? We need everyone. Bench clearing event. So what you invest in, because you don't know what's inside your formations, it's easy to invest in the shiny ones. You know what I mean? The ones who are, when you show up, they're like, they make themselves known. Where the other ones that need more attention because they're quieter or they don't run as fast or whatever that, what their case may be, how you invest on them and what you deliver as a platoon commander to them that you give a shit about their day will go a long way to what they think about service after their initial obligation is done. Just quick, so you're looking at the prototype. He crossed the border as a boy to join his father in the United States, didn't speak a lick of English, enlisted in the Marine Corps, uh, and received the MOS of a warehouseman because he scored poorly on his ASVAB because he couldn't speak English. And the decision was he wasn't intelligent enough to have a more complex MOS. And along the way, over the next 30 years, leaders like you saw something in him and said he's different and pushed him on. 
pushed him on, pushed him on. Uh, regimental drill, drill master on the drill field, recruiter, multiple combat tours in the infantry, uh, one of the force level sergeant majors of the Marine Corps and now hand selected to be the first Marine uh, sergeant major at Spacecom. So you never know. You never know who you got in your formation. Became a naturalized citizen as a gunnery sergeant. Okay. You coming back up for round two? I'm out of coins, man. Good afternoon, sir. Tim Jones, First Battalion. Uh, you speak a lot about how morale goes up when you're proficient at your job. And I'm speaking more or less for myself more than anything, that as a reservist coming into uh, the Marine Corps, are there ways, because I, I don't believe they will probably be efficient to, if I'm going in as a platoon commander, to be mentored by my company commander, because, you know, for obvious reasons, are there opportunities for us to be more proficient to gain that knowledge, obviously, of that job when it's not in the uh, command structure, in a sense of like having that outside source. Yeah. Look at us and evaluate us. Yeah, thank you. So, hey, we went through the stage where, where I would get assigned mentees. Hey, you're gonna mentor this person. That's not how it works, okay? And, you know, mentorship is like, uh, it's like any other relationship. Whatever reason, we pick up on these vibrations. So to acquire skill, Number one, if you don't have an aggressive personal reading habit, which is really different now. You know, we, we used to have boxes of books that we would take on deployment and hand to our Marines. There was no device, you know, so it was about reading books. And here's the difference as I read, and it's funny because my, my son is a, is a platoon commander with 3-4 in Okinawa right now, and all of a sudden he's a late onset reader. You know, he, anything I had suggested, of course, because I was his dad, it was ridiculous, and we weren't doing that, and I didn't understand. But now he's telling me about what books he's reading. And here's why. Because, you know, you, you've all been through Del Taco at like 3 in the morning. You know, maybe you're a passenger now. You're not driving. You know, and you have a few beers on board. And, you, boy, you really want that greasy burrito. And, and you know, because you're hungry, right? And you get that burrito. And it has no nutritional value because it's all processed crap, right? Now, if you would have gone to Whole Foods and got yourself a little tofu, with a little, like the Star Major does, with a little bit of you know, garbanzo beans and some spinach, and you make yourself maybe some clean protein, and you eat that, maybe not as satisfying immediately, but way more nutritious, right? Okay, so that's the difference from learning on Instagram and learning from a book. One is processed, you know what, generally, and the other one is the, the knowledge and wisdom of centuries. It has literally survived for centuries and is handed down through generations and generations and generations of humans as this is a master class. So go to Del Taco and be frustrated or get your butt in the library and get a book, number one. That's why Jerome Mattis talks about reading. It just so happens that it's true, okay? And, it's not, and they're actually, some of them are pretty good. The other one is, You'll find that you all, these relationships, I know you want to choke each other out mostly right now, but later in your life, you know, you'll be able to call each other and say, man, I'm having a really hard time understanding this. Can you help me? And then you'll get hooked up with somebody else. You know, uh, Lieutenant Bellin might say, hey, you know who's really good is Gunny Ruiz. Why don't you come on over to my office after work today and I'll have Gunny come in and he's, he's awesome at this. And you get a quick class. And that's how it goes down typically for junior officers. But you got to look. I mean, we're, hey, look, we eat what we kill, and it's the same with knowledge. If you're not constantly chasing, this is a profession. This is a profession. So when I say know your job, you know, you got to put the work in. It's not just that some instructor is going to give it to you and you got it. You got to work at it, like anything else. But it's there. There's lots of, lots and lots of people. You'd be shocked. If you put the word out, you want to learn. You know, I'm, I'm rank agnostic when it comes to learning. If Lance Corporal Gomez has got the answer, I'm all ears. And that ends up building that trust as well. So lots of opportunities for that. I wouldn't worry about that at all, but a fair question. All right. What else? Fourth platoon. Fourth platoon. I've heard about you. Commandant wanted me to ask some questions. But go ahead. Um, with the active duty promotes to uh, current treatment, you have to usually have to go to the ANV course to serve. Uh, for a reserve, there are very limited opportunities. Is there any chance with the, uh, the idea of the uh, permanently active reserve getting more current opportunities for uh, active reserve? Yeah, fair question. So, so you're a reservist? Uh, mixed, sir. You, you were or you were not? Uh, yeah, we went back to the reserve, sir. Okay, yeah. All right, so, so nothing to be ashamed of. 
<laughs> I'm one of you. Okay, so here's the deal. Have a seat. So, so for those of you that don't know, the, the, the limiting factor for reserve Marines is time. Time. So, you know, a machine gunner is a machine gunner is a machine gunner. When you deploy, nobody cares what your, I'm telling you, nobody cares what your component is, certainly not the enemy. So you, you better be on your job, right? So there is this time conundrum. We have 38 days a year, typically, to train a reservist. That's what they're paid for. A lot of them will volunteer their time more than that to, to get additional training and education. So when you, when you come down to the two weeks of annual training block, do you send them to school or do you send them to exercise? Tough question. And so professional military education, there's always a tension between that and advanced tactics schools. And so that's something Sergeant Major Ruiz has been working on uh, for the last few years, and as he goes on, will continue to influence. But I think what we're gonna find is, if we have the resources to pay additional uh, time blocks and people wanna go and can go, they'll go. I don't know, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, what do you want, right? So we all want the sergeant who's been not only technically educated and is an expert, can deliver those rounds where they need to be delivered, and we also want the one that's professionally trained attended both schools, All right? So we it's not a requirement question, it's probably a delivery um, question that we need to solve. How do we deliver the quality of education to the Marine? Because we want, at the end of the day, to deliver a Marine who can make what? Very complex decisions, sound decisions in a very hard environment, alone and unafraid. And in order to do that, we must start, because for an enlisted person, it's a journey. It's, it's, it's not a pull you out of command for a year and go to school. It is short blocks of education, professional education, where we bring you back into one place and regreen you to make the promise again of what it means to be a Marine. And we're all good still? Yeah, we're still good? Yeah, stop putting your hands in your pockets. Hoorah, okay, <laughs> now, this is what we do, right? And then get you back out to the fleet and then keep going, keep moving forward. Because if we don't, if we don't bring you back in and you're just out there in your own little silos in your cyber worlds and your space worlds and whatever it is, then you start losing what it means to be a Marine. A culture, we talked a lot about what's going to change with force design, but we didn't do a good job, a good enough job talking about what's not going to change. And that's what it is to be a Marine, which is different. Yeah, I would offer so, uh, really well said. Um, I, I would offer this too. So for those who don't really understand, so, so this is what I saw after 9-11. So what happens, and this is classic Marine Corps. We get into these struggles as an institution. We'll go to extremes, then we'll ping back to another extreme. And so part of being a professional is endurance. And I don't care what the profession is. Same is true on the outside. But we may have uh, Staff Sergeant Bellin standing in front of 1st Platoon. And I come to him as, uh, as Major Ruiz and I say, hey, Bellin, you're gonna go to annual training this year and you're also uh, gonna be uh, going to school this year. And he's thinking, okay, my wife's pregnant with triplets and I'm about to take the CPA exam. I can't do it. And so what ends up happening is you're gonna, you're gonna get passed for promotion if you don't go to school. Okay, I can't do it. He's got immense credibility with first platoon back here, but we design him into attrition. He goes. And then what ends up happening is Corporal Bellin stands in front of 1st Platoon as a platoon sergeant, and we get activated, and we go to war. So what do you want? Do you want Corporal Bellin standing in front of the platoon, or do you want Staff Sergeant Bellin standing in front of the platoon, a platoon who is tactically proficient and has established a trust and the culture of we're going to kick ass inside of that platoon? No, you want Staff Sergeant Bellin. So the institution is always struggling with this. That's our world. That's what we do. Okay, what else you got? Good afternoon, General Lieutenant Bailey, 5th Platoon. Bailey, you're motivating me. All right. Um, you spent some time as an intel officer with Regimental Combat Team 1 in Fallujah. Fallujah is known to be the city of loss. Um, so what are some of the unique challenges you face operating in an area with so many villages? You know what's funny is that we had, we had Iraqis with us, right, <clears throat> in both battles. I was there in both battles. So we had Iraqis with us. And so we were really wringing our hands about the mosques, you know. And, uh, and in the middle of all this, this Iraqi officer turns to me and he quotes, I think it's Descartes, you know, he says, listen, listen, you're too consumed about the mosque. 
If I pick up this chair, and there was a broken chair in this house we were ducked into. If I pick up this chair and I beat you with it, is it still a chair or is it a club? Because we're getting shot at from a minaret, you know? So, so uh, it's funny that, you know, culturally we're always attuned. You have to be. Because at the end of the day, what are you fighting for? Is it over ground? No, you're fighting over the people, right? It's a contest of ideas that gets real violent. You know, what do we represent? What do they represent? At the end of the day, that's what we're fighting for. And so you have to be mindful about all of the things that will, that, you know, all the ways we communicate. So if we go in there uh, and just with absolute disregard for all the cultural sensitivities, then we're probably going to polarize the people and we're probably going to end up fighting harder and longer. And we've made those mistakes, right? Now, if we go in there on the other end of the spectrum, where, hey, even though we're taking direct fire from a mosque and our, we know our rules of engagement allow us to engage, we still think culturally it's a sensitive thing and, and we're not going to do well, That's crazy also. So th that is, you know, that's the business of leaders. And there's no radio call. It's you making that call. You know, the only time it becomes an issue outside of your chain of command is if typically what will happen if you're on a fires net and you're trying to call fires of whatever it is, people are listening to that. But if you're maneuvering on it or applying direct fires, that's your call. And, uh, and that was a 20-year, that was our experience, you know, all the time. All the time. Does that, does that answer your question? Yes, sir. Yeah. All right. How did you become an intel officer? Okay. You're not <laughs> so uh, at the end, to at the, yeah, uh, kicking and screaming. At the end of my uh, first tour in Iraq, um, I got pushed up, my group uh, called Task Force Scorpion, got pushed up into the, the Marine Corps had, like, think of the southern third of Iraq was kind of our responsibility, the Wazit province and some other province down south, Hilla and all those places. And I was the operations officer for a group called Task Force Scorpion. We got pushed up into the very northern end of the Marine Corps zone in kind of the southern ring of Baghdad. And there's these towns called Latafia, Mamadiya, Musakaya, uh, and, and uh, Fallujah. And we, there was an army logistics base in our zone. And 3rd Armored Division was, uh, had its headquarters in Baghdad International Airport. So they had to run these big log trains from the base to Baghdad. And they were just getting hammered, you know, getting ambushed and, and uh, getting just crushed. And so um, they sent us up there to look into it. And we made contact like the first night. Everyone else is like out in town buying bread, putting windows in girls' schools. And it was a whole, you know, it was like spring break in the south. And we were like up here all of a sudden we're banging, you know. And, uh, and it got really busy that summer. And so I started to send uh, reports back saying, hey, this is organized. We're, the, the people we were dealing with were wearing tracksuits. They were maneuvering on us at night. They didn't fully understand thermal weapons and things that we had yet. And, but they were clearly organized. And we'd hit a, a raid. And I remember one night we found this um, pamphlet from the uh, US Special Forces from the 70s and 80s. And it talked about how to organize resistance cells. So they were organized. And then we caught a couple of Iranians and a couple of things. I'm sending this report back going, hey, this is not tribal. This is organized insurgency with third country actors involved. And, and we're hitting it every night out here. We started doing like five, seven raids a night. And it kept snowballing. And, uh, and so uh, then uh, General, Major General Mattis sent uh, his chief of staff, a guy named Colonel Joe Dunford, calls me down to the division headquarters. And he says, uh, what's going on up there? You know. And uh, I tell him, and he sends up this guy named John Tulin, who was a regimental commander, huge Irish guy, had hands like a Christmas ham, you know, when he pounded the table, boom, and he comes up to be our boss. I'm just a reserve major, you know, and uh, he sees it and he sees what we're doing. And so uh, we go home at the end of the day, we get ripped by the 82nd Airborne. We go home and in October, I lived in Southern California with my family and I put up a gunny for a silver star. And Colonel Joe Dunford calls me on to Camp Pendleton, says, hey, I want to talk to you about this award. Long story short, it was all BS. And he's like, hey, uh, starts pitching me on going back. The division was spinning to go back. And I told him, sir, hey, if, I'm, if you're asking me to go back, I'll call Sue. If she lets me do it, I'm in. You know, I'm thinking assistant night watch officer. He goes, great, go up to Camp Horno, meet with Tulin, and he's got a job for you. Awesome. Go up to First Marine Regiment. I'm thinking, Assistant Night Watch Officer, First Marine Regiment. And I walk into Tulin's office, I'll never forget, I want you to be my intel officer. And I said to him, sir, I don't know the difference between a Maku and an IPB. Because if you don't know what that is yet, you'll learn it. I'm not your guy. I'm an ops guy. 
and he took that Christmas ham and he, boom, I'm not interested in your opinion. Go get the intel officer, come and tell him to come here and move into his office. You're deploying in five days. And I went across the ocean with a guy named Sparky Renforth, and I'm cramming like for the bar exam, reading intel pubs, like trying to get the acronyms down. And we're just going back to hand out butterscotch candies at that point. That, that was the, what the, we were going to do. And the long story short, um, history had a different idea. And every agency under the sun and JSOC and everybody else was there for 14 months. And I got a crash course in Intel. So you think you know what you're going to do. U universe gets a vote. So. All right. One more. What do you think? One more, sir. Come on. We're second platoon. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Second platoon. All right, I was about to dime you out anyway. Obviously, you've had a very successful career building in the civilian and military. I'm wondering what's kept you motivated to stay in the Marine Corps. You. I love being around Marines. I love it. You know, they're, 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 it's a, you are never going to be good enough. The mission will always demand more. There's never enough time or money or blah, blah, blah but the quality of the people that are about to enter your life will blow you away. And they have been blowing me away ever since. I can't get, I mean, I just can't get it out of my system. I'm gonna be lecturing my cows next, I'll be like, form it up, let's go, you know, school circle, sit in the old bed. I'll be doing that next summer, you know. Um, you have no idea what a decision you've made. It's, it's, it's an incredible decision. And you're gonna lead this group of people that are gonna stand in front of you, and they're gonna see you on your worst day. And they have an amazing capacity to forgive you when you fail. You know, everyone's worried about failing, right? I am. I don't want to fail. But if you're out there getting it every day and doing your level best, first of all, there's no bullshit meter that will ever be invented than a platoon of Marines looking back at you or, or a company or a battalion or a squadron or whatever. If you're not being who you should be, if you're not who you are, if you're faking it, they will see right through you. So you've got to figure out who you are. You got to be yourself. And then what will happen is when you're just so destroyed because you believe you failed at something, as long as it's not a moral or ethical breach, you just failed one day, they have an amazing capacity to forgive you. Because they're all about whipping it on. Let's go. Let's go get it. Let's get over this and get on with it. Well, holy cow, you surround yourself with, that, with people like that every day. What a blessing is that? It's crazy. So that's what I've gotten out of it. I don't know. What have, what have you gotten out of it? Free food? <laughs> <laughs> don't let your don't let the first tour kick your ass okay so if you have a bad tour don't let it kick your butt you know that's the great thing about this service is that you get to try it again you get promoted you get to try to be that person that you thought you could be yeah i sucked at being a second lieutenant i've learned some things i'm gonna finally get promoted to captain and i get to go to a different duty station i get to try all those things because it's a new group of people pretty awesome. Along the way, somebody hopefully, or you, created an environment where you can make somebody feel special. They joined because you sold them on a family and what it meant, what kind of family, right? And then those Marines feel that for that one moment about being part of a team. And then it's gone, poof. And then you get promoted, and then you spend the rest of your time trying to create that for the other Marines. And then time passes, and now I'm here trying to create a place where that can happen to those Marines. Before you know it, it's 30 years. It's freaking awesome. I'll tell you this, we'll end with this. And the funny thing is, like, I watch him everywhere we go. We go through the airport, you know, and people will come up, and they don't look like Marines, all right? You got to imagine hard to imagine them as a Marine. And they'll come up to him. It's like, hey, Sergeant Major, remember me? Three, five, blah, 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 you know, or whatever. Three, four, and we were in Hellman. They're with you for the rest of their lives. Friday morning, I had breakfast in New York City before we flew out with one of my lieutenants who's now 50 years old. And he's telling me all about his kids, and, you know, and we had the best breakfast. And he hasn't been a Marine forever. You got that for the rest of your life. You hit the lottery. Now what you do with it, it's up to you. I'll, I'll end with this, okay? The day I got pinned on for three stars, the commandant promoted me, which, you know, that didn't happen until the end, right? So don't expect that. But um, 
he showed up, you know, and I'm nervous because I'm taking over a new job and I suck. And, you know, I'm like, and, ah, and, he, and, and I'm getting dressed that morning. And this calm came over me, this unbelievable moment of God's grace, you know, kind of washed over me. And, and what I realized, and I still realize it, and this is what you guys have to understand, is that as long as you're still wearing the cloth, as long as you're still doing this, you can be everything you aspire to be as a Marine. Even me, I've got four months left. I can still be the Marine I aspire to be so long as it means something to me. That's what's called a calling. And that's what you're doing. So suck it up and get on with it, all right? <laughs> all right. Are we doing, uh, are we supposed to be going over to, uh, are, they, are they paroled after this? Or are you got us going to the, we're going to the Hawk? Social over at the Hawk after this, sir. Social over at the Hawk. If you want to. Sergeant Major brought his platinum card, so, you know, order stay. All right. Hey, thanks, Alpha Company. Rao. Bench it on deck. Hey, carry on.